1: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com/host.
0: In the week that saw Piers Morgan interview the Prime Minister, I'll bet you a thousand pounds to a refugee charity. You don't get anybody on those planes before the election. Will you take that bet? Well, I, well, I want to get the people on the
2: planes, right? 100? Of course, I want to get the people on the planes. Thousand right? pounds. Right. I want to get the people on the plane. And former Fox News pundit Tucker Carlson interviewed Vladimir Putin. So do you see the supernatural at work as you look out across what's happening in the world now? Do you see God at work? Do you ever think to yourself, these are forces that are not human?
0: No, to be honest. It seems like there's no better time to ask, what makes a good political interviewer? And, what makes a good political interviewee? Ollie sat down with Rob Burley, who worked alongside the likes of Andrew Marr and Emily Maitlis as the BBC's editor of live political programmes. And, today, is the author of Why Is This Lying Bastard Lying To Me? The Search For Truth on Political TV. Enjoy.
2: Am I tough enough? Strong and stable leadership. Total rubbish. Hell yes, I'm tough enough. Shut the fridge. Not
0: another one?
2: It's the politics show. podcast. <laughs> Rob Burley, welcome to
0: Politics Joe. Thank you very much.
2: Pleasure to have you here. Um, good to be here. How are you?
0: I'm fine, I'm all right. I'm a bit wet, it's raining quite trench Soggy so out there. Yeah, they managed to seep into the trainers. Mm, so never good. It's all day, it's going to be slightly used, little trench foot.
2: Fortunately, we are in a basement, so we're safe <laughs> down here. Yeah. Um, before we get into the meat of yes. why is this lying bastard lying to me, how would you like to introduce yourself?
0: Uh, well, of course, that's a good question. Uh, my, my name's Rob, um, uh, <laughs> and I'm. No, uh, <laughs> are we sharing? Um, yeah, uh, we can if you want. Uh, let's, I, uh, <laughs> let's not talk about the book. Let's no, just do no, that. No. Uh, no, it's taken an interesting turn. Turn. Mm. Um, uh, I'm a former. I'm a former something. I'm a former uh, BBC uh, and ITV uh, um, editor. So I ran political programmes at the BBC, and I used to edit the Andrew Marr show. Before that, I used to run uh, ITV political show. So I mention those things because those are the things I've done which relate to the book. Other than that, I'm, I live in Hove. I've got two kids. I've uh, a of Sport Liverpool um, and uh, you know, I am passionate about the stuff that's in this because it really matters. It's
2: a good top line. Um, for, a, for a viewer, someone who perhaps isn't necessarily familiar with the jargon and, and the roles because, you know, for example, assistant editor at the BBC actually means something quite specific.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Would it be fair to describe you as sort of the person on the other end of the earpiece for the presenter? Behind the camera, you are in the gallery, sort of.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all right. That, that would be true. I mean, it's it uh, until you're running the whole department, then it's then it's there's, there are people who are more junior who would be literally having the conversation down the earpiece, and, you, and this is happening all the time, and you don't necessarily to notice it if you're watching TV. Which is that people uh, who presenters who are speaking and doing interviews are being told not just timings and where to look, but also what to say next. What's your next question? Um, and that's a good thing because it gives us an opportunity and just a little bit of an advantage against the minister, say, who does this job all day long to kind of help, just a little advantage that maybe helps our presenter kind of have, have the uh, ability to step back a bit and work out what they're actually saying. Mm. It's quite hard if you're a presenter. You know, you've got a lot of stuff going on when you're on a live programme. You've got a lot of stuff in the year. You've got, you know, lots going on with this to, just to do with what's the next item. We'll get rid of the weather, whatever it is. But if you're if you're doing an interview, some, you know, one of the things that you can do is have someone who's saying what do they just say? That sounds a bit weird. That's not quite what the policy is. Or even just I would just do things sometimes like, what? Or, mm. hmm, me. And they know what I mean because it would just be like, oh, I'm just sort of saying, crikey, that's a funny thing to have said. Or, or persist, you know, continue with that particular thing or whatever it is. And you, you build up a kind of a vocabulary with the the people you work with, like Andrew Neil or Andrew Marr or Emily Malis or whatever.
2: That's really interesting. Could you give me a, a real world example of some, something that's happened in the past? Because when I've had it, Talk back, that is, in the past, it's always been quite specific and quite been, well, how about this or how does that interact with why? Uh, let's move things on to here, but never what?
0: Yeah. Hmm. That's that, interesting. Well, that might be because, I mean, so that is a, one of the great themes of the book, um, he says, potentially, <laughs> is, that, uh, is, that, um, is about the long form political interviews. So, yeah. so, that what that means really is an interview. See, what, what, the, what, what the political Class want to do is they want to come on telly as for as short a period as possible, repeat a set of lines and then go. Mm. Uh, Now that is the enemy of scrutiny and democracy. What we need to, what we, I believe, we need to go back to is what we used to have back in the day when I was a kid. Now, sadly, in the days when I was a kid, which as you can tell was a long time ago, we had well, it was. Let's be (laughs) honest, it was three. It was there were three channels for a period. You may have heard about this in the story, in the tones, in, the, <laughs> in, the, tomes, yeah, yeah, in yeah. the texts. Oh, remember that? And there were three channels, and then when it went to four, we were like, "Fucking hell." <laughs> but, um, when, I know, but when it was three, we had, I mean, this is the truth, uh, I, I, All you know, if it's raining in November and uh, or February and uh, you're, uh, you're nothing, nothing better to do, nothing to do, the TV, you switch it on on a Sunday lunchtime and there'd be people talking about stuff and you didn't know what the hell they meant. it was mainly it was a guy called Brian Walden who was, a, who was an interviewer on ITV and he would be talking to a politician and I wouldn't know what they were on about because the way they spoke, the complexity of the thing was just sort of bewildering to a child, okay? You know, I'm like eight or nine, 10, whoever. But I just sort of think something's going on here. Some, some sort of conversation that matters is happening, right? Now, let's just, this in a roundabout way answers your question, which is that what that, what that was, was the long form interview. It's, it was like up to 45 to 46 minutes of interviewing. Famously, Mrs. Thatcher, right? So she's just lost her chancellor in the, probably the biggest crisis of her, her career. And she goes on telly for 46 minutes and faces Brian Warden, who was a brilliant interviewer. Can you imagine that from Rishi Sunak? Can you imagine mm-hmm. that from Keir Starmer? I don't think they would in a hurry do that because you know, that has been lost as an art. Now the reason I mention that is that many of the things I'm talking about that I was doing were, were, was the long form interview. So it's not a case of, you know, most of the time, people are in the middle of a maelstrom of things that they're, you know, that, like I say, that the weather's gonna come up. There's, there's all these different things happening. They're on a news show that is ever changing. But if you're sitting there with one purpose, which is to, for example, interview Boris Johnson about Brexit, then by the time you get in that room, you and the, if it's done properly, you and that presenter should be very sort of simpatico. Sort of you should be knowing exactly what you're saying. So if I say to you, hey, then you know what I mean. Is You're thinking back to the conversation we had before the programme. Started before the recording started and you are knowing know, I'm you know, as a colleague goes you oh, what, what? Mm. And, and you're picking up on it You don't need me to go the worst thing for talkback is to go Can you say the thing about the thing about the select committee about the thing and then they're just like what? Cause They're trying to listen as well at the same time.
2: Let's um stick with that particular lying bastard then um, <laughs> uh, if we're going if we're going to there's yeah. there's a There's a chapter dedicated to this in the book. Uh, it's also I remember at the time thinking it was a fairly classic bit of political interviewing. What's in 5C, right? It's, yeah, the, it's yeah. the, during, well, I'll let you explain it, but yeah. essentially, Andrew Nillian is interviewing Boris Johnson about Brexit.
0: Yeah. Let me get the boring bit out of the way, right? So but you, need to, you need the boring bit to understand it, which is, you may recall that people talked a lot about the GATT Treaty. Now the reason why that is relevant is because it was essentially a set of rules for international trade that had been in place since the 40s, which would allow you in certain circumstances to trade in a certain way. So it's an established way between different countries. It's a bit complicated. But the point about it is uh, Boris Johnson had mastered, uh, this is a rare thing, but he'd mastered, the, <laughs> he'd mastered 5B, which is the, the, the clause in this treaty, which said if, something, you know, if there's a change of circumstance, countries can essentially continue to trade on the same basis. In other words, if there's a no deal Brexit, do you remember that? The prospect of that suddenly we drop out of the uh, of the EU without without any kind of rule about how, rules and regulations about how to trade with people, we can just revert to these rules, and that's what we'll do. We we'll use five we'll B. So. Essentially, what we thought about that was, okay, we know he does that because what he'd done at this point, he, this was in the leadership election for the Tory party. So, um, of course, this happened and, and he was elected leader of the Tory party shortly afterwards because that's what you'd conclude if you heard this. Uh, but in any case, what happened was he would always go into interviews and talk about 5B. He loved it because it just felt, it looked like he was, you know, the master of his brief and going against the sort of the, 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 the stereotype that he's a bullshitter. Mm. But of course... We've all been in seminars, right? You know, so we all know, you know, you're hungover, you go to a seminar, and it's like, like there's this, this, what, if I can just get that one thing out, then like, at least it'll look like I've read the book. Mm. Um, and, um, and that is, of course, the mode very much that he's in. And so we thought, well, what about we ask, he's on 5B, so well, let's take him to 5C. Uh, and so that's what we did. Um, and the way we, we, we just invited, we just, it was like, we were inviting him, do you wanna to come to 5B? Come to 5B, and he was like, oh yeah, i have got to 5B. He's happily dancing along to 5B, because he knows 5B, it's is great. Then it's compounded by Andrew Neal making a small error in terms of how he referred to one of these, these um, clauses, which, which Johnson, in a moment of beautiful hubris, decided was the op- opportunity for him to say, I thought you were the details man. You can't even get it right. You know, you, it's, fi- it's all about 5B. It's 5B of the gap tree, do you know? You know, reading it was like, this guy's really across his staff. 5B, come on, come on, come on keeps coming. And then he said, Andrew said, he lets it pause, and he says, what about 5C? I prefer very much to confide in whatever that means. Confide in five B. So, what about what five C says? Uh, and he just says, you know, uh, well, you know, it's all about five B. And I just yeah. says, you don't know what's in five C, do you? And he goes, no. <laughs> and it was like, there you are. Finally, you've got you see that some people would say that's a gotcha moment, right? I would say to that bollocks mm. for this, because that is exactly what you should do. You look at the situation. You ask yourself this question: What is the truth? Right. What is the truth of the matter? The truth is that he's not across the detail. The truth is he has the bare minimum that he needs to do to get through the interview. And what our job is—our job for, the, for important reasons, not because we're just wanting to have fun or a gotcha—is to reveal that truth about this guy who is saying he should be elected leader of the party and, the, and prime minister. Mm. And perhaps if people had taken that seriously, in this case, the electorate, which was the Conservative Party membership, who don't tend to necessarily sort of take those things that seriously because they, they have their feelings about these people and they don't get change, then they might have averted all that happened after that, which is, you know, some of the things that went wrong for him in, in power. So, you know, it's a really important thing to do and it worked beautifully. It didn't change anything, but, in, but it's there and people will remember it and, it's, and it. and it's in the book and it'll be in other books and it will be remembered because it's important. Just
2: briefly, a yeah. definition of terms, gotcha. What does Oh, someone... sorry.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So gotcha is like, it's it's it's, it's uh, I think it derived from America, which is, so the way certainly this not
2: the front page of the Sun about the
0: Belgrano. No, not that one. A uh, different gotcha. The thing is, what happened is right. So essentially, TV TV arrives, okay, in, around the world. This new medium. Um, politicians realize it's an opportunity to communicate directly to people in in their millions, directly into their homes. And initially, there's, it's a kind of uh, fairly naive, you know, and you know, sort of good situation, which is that do you want to come to an interview? Yes, I do. Let's talk about it. Let's talk and let's have a, a, a dialogue. And then, then that serves the, the, the voter. But of course, quite quickly, you end up with a situation where the politicians want to control that process because things go wrong for them. So, they, so, so, so we start then a sort of a, a battle, a dance between the two sides all the time down the years about how you do it. And one of the ways in which American politicians, and it's been sort of taken up here a bit fight against, you know, to conduct that fight, is to discredit the notion of an interview that seeks to catch you out, as in the 5B, 5C case, mm. as a gotcha interview, which means really, this is just about you being seen to get me. It's about you you know, catching me out and making me look stupid. Now, some of them exist, right? So, I mean, I don't know whether you ever do it. I mean, when you interview politicians, but do you, know, do you ever ask things like how much is a pint of milk, which is a classic example, right? I think it's a stupid example. Mm. But people do it because it's like that, that demonstrates quickly a gotcha. You don't even know about how people live. Yeah. It's actually a really cheap shot. Okay, so
2: how do we dis- distinguish between that yeah. and, let's say, Diane Abbott, uh, I think it was, tw- no, it wasn't 2019, it was been 2017, um, Ferrari, LBC, how much, to, how much is this going to cost? I think it was in relation to an uh, up, uptick policing, in right? policing, yeah, policing yeah. numbers or something. Came out with a figure and it boiled down to essentially, you know, you'd be paying each police officer something like £8,000 a year or something. The figures didn't stack yeah, yeah, up yeah. right. And I, it went mega viral, didn't it? Yeah. It blew, blew up. Huge moment in the campaign. Diane Amber got a reputation that I don't think she ever shook after that. That mm-hmm. was essentially being, you know, not, you know, being a bit sort of away with the fairies and yada, 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 which I think was un, probably slightly unfair, given what transpired later, regardless. What is the distinction between, no, you are the Home Secretary, you should really know the cost of this thing, Shadow mm. Home Secretary, yeah. I should say, mm-hmm. versus, you know, how much is a pint of milk?
0: I think it's pretty clear. I mean, so, so if, if it's a pint of milk, it's, it's that is, I mean, it, it's not a nor or there whether someone knows it, well, the cost of a pint of milk. I mean, they may, I, mean, I, don't, even, I, I don't even know, them. I mean, I, I think I get a litre bottle, I don't know. But mm. the point is, it's not actually important. It's only, it's, it's not you're asking it to elicit something, right. or to test something, apart from some, Fairly cheap notion that this person is a bullshitter or is a is is, is disconnected out of touch disconnected
2: from the experience of others. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. That, it's kind of just a. It, I mean, hopefully, people just don't do it anymore. I use it as an example. It's the it's the Uber example of doing that, right? And there may be other versions of it. Whereas the interview with Nick Ferrari, I mean, Nick Ferrari is actually brilliant. He's he's really good, and he he was like, well, I mean, the fact that he's totting it up, in, it's fantastic. I mean, <laughs> sorry, you can't go. In, I mean, it's not acceptable to go in the room as the shadow Home Secretary. So I'm going to be. I want to be your Home Secretary with a set of figures you can't substantiate. I mean, that's just absolutely... Insane. Yeah, you can't do that. So, I mean, I think she got all she deserved for that.
2: Let's talk about prep then, right? So, (coughs) you mentioned how just perhaps even a slight intonation change in the talkback can signal to your presenter, oh, how about this thing? Yeah. And, you know, you talked, again, about 5B versus 5C. For an interview like that, Neil versus Johnson, or take your pick of Lying Bastards. Yeah. How much prep goes into that? How much... If he says X, he'll probably say Y. Mm-hmm. How much tape are you watching? Run me through that process.
0: Well, I mean, so, I mean, again, just to briefly mention Brian Walden again. Brian Walden, who was again, as I say, look him up. I mean, it's worth go on YouTube and look up Brian Walden, Margaret Thatcher. You will not have seen anything like it before in terms of the drama of the moment and the nature of the interview. It's just unlike anything we have anymore. It's a terrible thing. We've lost it. But anyway, anyway. the preparation that used to go to that was extraordinary. I've seen these documents. They're amazing. So what happened is, he's a document that thick you know with an interview and it will say brian we will look at it and it will say if you um, uh, if if she says answer x to question y go to page 16c right i'm not exaggerating okay that's the level of preparation and detail and he would what he would do the other thing he had was he had he had something like a photographic memory so he wouldn't need to have that in front of him he'd have some he might have an aid memoir, but he wouldn't have that whole thing—a big thing—in front of him. But he would remember, and he would go and he would go. Um, so that was the—that's like the, the the sort of the, the most extreme prep. You know, you can—you know—that's that, what extreme prep would look like. Mm. So what we did i, I ended up—I started at LWT, London Weekend Television, which was a, a franchise of ITV back in the the, uh, the 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 distant past. And I started there in the in the '90s, and it was actually it was the successor show to that show. So we had a a, a, a culture. Also, Peter Mandelson used to work on this show. Other people like that used to work on, in that place. A culture of um, lots of detailed prep. We had a week to prepare for the interview. So we would, we would, you know, there'd be detailed briefs on things written, and then would be, it would then turn into a document which would evolve, which in the end would be taken into the room by, uh, in this case, Jonathan Dimbleby when I worked with him. And you know, that prep would have taken a week. And certainly the weekend would have been spent role-playing it, uh, you know, working through everything, making sure everything's correct. And then the next morning, something might have happened overnight or in the morning on a Sunday. How do we integrate that into this plan? So, you know, it's, 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 it's a cliche. I mean, as I mentioned Liverpool, I think Rafa Benitez used to say, prepare to succeed. And that's, and that's what it is. That's what happened with Boris Johnson. Mm. How do you get past the bluster, the bullshit? Or how do you get past someone more honourable who's just got a very strong argument but needs to be tested? Uh, and the only way you're going to do that is by working hard. and, and So a lot of prep.
2: I think... Um I think it was Roy Stewart, actually, I heard talking about this, preparing for an Andrew Neil interview.
0: Oh, did you? I yeah. that.
2: Well, he was saying that essentially, in, th- in theory, Andrew Neil at most has spent three to six hours, you know, dealing with the detail yeah. of what he, as the minister, should be living and breathing. Right, so exactly. in, in practice, yeah. it should actually be quite easy for him to go and sit down opposite him mm-hmm. and have a conversation about it mm-hmm. because, in theory, he knows more about the subject matter than Andrew does. Yes. And it's... If you just sort of compare it in sort of an arms race type of way, of how much time have you spent thinking about justice,
0: or you know, I'm really glad you said that because actually that's actually what I've often I've often made that point to people, which is that, that you know, as I said about talkback, about, we can any advantage we can get. I mean, this guy, this is their job. Yeah, you know. I mean, imagine you go, go and do a question about your job. I need about your job. You'd probably be fine, but you wouldn't have to prep for it. It's, you think so. It, you think. Maybe you fuck up, but um, you, you just don't know what happens. <laughs> Never rule that out. Yeah, it's definitely possible. But um, yeah, so, he, so the, he, does, he does have an advantage. But uh, the one thing I would say about Andrew Neil, though, is that Andrew Neil is probably as well-briefed um, as you are as the minister in the sense that one of the things about him is you don't need to give him briefs because he knows it anyway. Mm. It seems amazing. So you, you come in and be like, there's no point in giving him a, like a, a, like a junior researcher written a document for Andrew Neil about, what, about this policy area. He's going to know, you know, he, all you're doing is like embarrassing yourself probably because he's going to know more than you know. Yeah. He's going to know a load of it. So he would probably be quite up to speed on almost anything he could do even before he started preparing for the interview.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I maybe you don't, don't want to go too far into this, but I actually thought there was a very discernible difference when he left the Beeb and he went to GB News. I thought you could see, because I think he interviewed Rishi, didn't he? Was, he did, yeah. yeah I don't was, remember
0: anything about it. Yeah.
2: It. <laughs> it was one of the, one of the uh, I think it was like opening interview or, you know, very early days or whatever. And I yeah. remember watching it and, think, and I thought, this does not, and I know he obviously already has the knowledge himself, but I didn't think, it didn't feel, it didn't, I don't know what it was. If something was off in the way that if you oh, just they're, watched they're, him on the Andrew yeah. Neil show or anything like that,
0: you I, know. I'd be staggered if they had anybody uh, to prepare him to the level of... I think it was one producer. Yeah, and no, and no disrespect to that producer. No, absolutely not. Sorry I, I, to be clear. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think that that would be hard to do, and I think he probably would be. I mean, you know, he can he can do a, a certainly a very good interview without any help. But I think, to be honest, that's probably about. If you remember that, I mean, I don't know if people remember this, but um, I mean, we're in a we're in a sort of like it's a bit dark in here. This is a bit, but this is better lit. <laughs> This is a basement uh, in <laughs> Farringdon. Well, this is better lit than the whole, <laughs> the, the 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 nerve center of GB News was. Yeah. It looked like it was extraordinary. The set was just amazing. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. And I think Andrew was just sitting there like, what the? F- what have I done? I mean, yeah. look at this place. They can't light it. They can't. There's, there's no autocue queue, wherever it was. So I think it must be hard. I mean, it's very. I think to be fair to him, I think. He's a Rolls Royce and he's used to being in Rolls Royce conditions, and suddenly he's in this shithole doing this rubbish. And it's like, it's not, it's not, and I think that, you know, he got out within no time. Mm. And they, to be fair to them as well, I mean, they've got better. And I think also, I would just say about GB News, I do think that uh, at at least, you know, they're in the post Wooten era um, and the post uh, Lawrence Fox era. uh, You know, I think that that they're not in quite the place they were because they've made those changes. And
2: that's, in, that's interesting to me. I'd like to know what you think their game is because I look at it, okay, as a business, right? Mm. They have this incredibly expensive arm, they call themselves a startup, incredibly expensive arm, which is the broadcast arm of the channel, right? You know, they yeah. have to pay to get the band, to get the frequency, the bandwidth, the talent, they have the studio, etc. They do quite well on digital, but not yeah. really that many people are watching them mm. in terms of, I don't think actually it's been proven as a business model in the UK that rolling 24-hour no, you know, right, TV right. news is actually a successful thing to go into. Yeah, but yeah that's a, yeah. A different conversation. Maybe we can have it. So I think if you're a startup, you look at that and go, "Well, surely we kill the TV arm. We just we keep the studio, we keep the talent, we broadcast on digital, we put all our resources into that. Away we go." But they don't do that, and I the reason I sorry, I'm going on a bit, but I think that's the reason right. they don't do that is because there is a prestige, particularly in Westminster, about being a broadcast media publication. Right, yeah, you get into the pool, it. you get you get on, um, you get the morning round. People want to come and talk yeah. to you. And I wonder what you think their intention is, whether it is to launch a successful business or whether in, instead it is actually to sort of to shift the Overton window a little bit, to uh, adjust the political culture and to become this, possibly mm. the battleground on which the fight for the soul of the Conservative Party will take place over the next one, five, ten years.
0: I mean, I'm sure they're interested, I, mean, I, just, I don't really know, but I'm sure they're interested in, in doing that and that they think, uh, you know, they, they come at it, they must, the, the driving animating sort of concept behind the whole existence of it is to change the conversation and open up a, a, you know a channel into the right, right? So that must be, they're interested in doing that and that's to Chris to their mill because that's their audience presumably quite interested in that and I don't know how, I can't remember how the audience is doing figure, numbers wise but, but all I say is look, you know, they've got people, they've now got people like Gloria, they've got Gloria DiPiero who's a friend of mine who I think is very good and they've got um, Camilla Tomini and they've got Chris Hope. So they are becoming a bit more like a conventional, Establishment call it maybe. Yeah, yeah, a bit more establishment in, in that these are people who are proper journalists whereas other people would just, you know, mouths on the end of a stick. It was, it was just awful stuff. So I think that that's changed. So I don't know. I don't really mind if it exists. And it, it's, it's it, as long as it doesn't, I mean, it's problematic when you have some of the stuff that they've broadcast that seems to be conspiracy theory oriented and all that. But I don't know. I can't really, I, I wouldn't want to speak too much to, sure. to what at, their, their kind of plan is.
2: Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping
1: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Not another
0: one.
2: It's the Politics Show and... podcast. Rob, who do you think the most uh, egregious lying bastard is that you've dealt with?
0: Ooh. I mean, it's hard to get past Boris Johnson, to be perfectly honest. You think? Yeah. No, I think I think I think I think a I think a level of sort of I mean I don't know whether some people believe things they say when they're not true. You know, they're not they believe the things they're saying even though they they know that deep down they're not true. So maybe he believed it when he was saying it. Like Tony Blair, I think had that, that about him. He believed things were true when he said them, mm. even if they weren't true. I think that's where he ended up around Iraq. Um, so I think Boris is, Boris Johnson just used. He, I mean, I he doesn't seem to. It's, all, it's, it's well documented. I mean, there's a, I refer to an interview I wasn't part of, but there's, there's some very uh, salient, which is Eddie Mayer's interview with, again, folks, look it up, on, it appears on, pretty short it's on YouTube. Yeah, it is. It's pretty devastating. It's, it's a very, very, very good interview, and it really addresses that long history of things that, it, that he'd done or said or that, that appeared to be untrue. Uh, and I think, you know, the interview that never happened, which was, if you remember, in 2019, the BBC uh, normally interviewed all the leaders of the parties. Uh, that's a norm, a Democrat, kind of democratic norm that sprung up over time. And it was, it was, it was an important thing. You know, like I say, I believe in long form interviews, so that's a really important part of the election campaign. And um, Boris Johnson's people pretended they would do it, but of course, they never had any intention of doing it. But the interview the plan that we, that we actually had prepared was all about trust and about truthfulness. And I, you know what, I, Just looking back, it feels like we were onto something. I don't know what you think. But <laughs> I, just, I, I just yeah, I think you were yeah, I think we might have be. been. But it, the, you know, so that was about the truth. When about, you say
2: pretend, they, they they gave you the impression that oh, they were going quickly.
0: to do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole the whole strategy was. I mean, so essentially, people said, and there's a lot of anger. I mean, I got I absorbed a lot of anger um, from people on Twitter, particularly at the time about this, which was that um, they said why? How can you have a thing where but Jeremy Corbyn can sharpen and do an interview, and so can the other parties, and they don't. You surely need to have them all set before you start. Sounds really, it sounds good, doesn't it? Mm. It just doesn't work like that. It doesn't. It's, if you try, if that was your uh, your sort of way of doing it, you would they would never happen because it, you just have to get them when get them when you can fill it all in. And it, ultimately, it relies upon people, uh, you know, being honourable.
2: Good chap theory.
0: Good chaps. It's not looking good, is it? That theory now, <laughs> um, you know. But they've got to be honourable and, and and say what they they're, they're not actually just stringing you along. But what I think they were wanting to do was they wanted Jeremy Corbyn to be interviewed by Andrew Neil, and it was only after that happened that they were they began to drop the pretense that they were going to do it. Mm. Uh, but yeah, so th- there's lots in the book about that. Um, some people think too much detail, but I just wanted to get on the record some of the things that happened there, at the BBC around it, and, uh, and what was said to Labour, and it's quite complicated. But it was a very a very uh, Unfortunate moment. It was horrible. It was a horrible thing to be in the middle of because, understandably, people were very um, upset and angry about it because Jeremy Corbyn's interview with Andrew you know, was disastrous.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, and he never and you I'll got picked it, apart. Yeah. I mean, it was. Yeah. It was. He he was destroyed really in the interview. So, I don't know what would happen with Boris Johnson, but I think you know after 5C, as we discussed, had happened mm-hmm. earlier, then I think he probably was reluctant to do it. And and actually, at the end, um, in fact, let me read you. This is uh, This is this tells you a lot. Okay. Yeah. I read I wrote this at the front of the book and sometimes when I'm talking about it, I, have, I find myself, I can't say, do anything but read this out, okay? Please. It'll take me a couple of seconds, but first quote here is from Brian Walden who I've mentioned, okay? He said, the plain fact is that Westminster's time-honoured procedures for calling our leaders to account are in some respects vastly inferior to those of television. So he's arguing for television. When it comes to uncovering truth, there is no substitute for sustained questioning in public by a single individual armed with a clear purpose. Someone like him or Andrew Neil, right? We should be proud that we in Britain have made the political interview a more effective instrument of liberty than any of the other people of the democratic world. I mean, I don't know, I'm feeling a little bit. I'm yeah, a little bit. Tearing like, up. Yeah, a bit emotional. Now. Brian than 1990. I now bring you Mr. Dominic Cummings, former chief advisor to Boris Johnson. This is what he said in 2021. Why the fuck would we put a gaffe machine clueless about policy and government up to be grilled for ages? This is not a hard decision. Right. So there you have it. Right. There was no question they were never going to do it. And for them, contemptuously, they just thought, let Corbyn do it. You know, if that, if that helps us win the election, fine. And they, and they actually acted as if they were master strategists for this piece of
2: behaviour. Never. Yeah. We, we, why on earth would we make the decision to put him up for an interview like that? but definitely let's make the decision to put him up to be prime minister of the country.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, he's, and Ollie, that's so true. I mean, he, Cummings has said. Yeah. He knew that he wasn't capable of doing the job, but he said, he's better than Corbyn, so I had to, I had to support him and, um, and put him in a position. Who, and, the, and the thing is, I mean, it makes you think, what if you put someone like that in a position in something like extraordinary happened, like, I don't know, like a global pandemic or something? Mm-hmm. You know, what might happen? How you can live with that, I don't know. And in fact, if, if that was his position, why didn't he get behind Jeremy Hunt when he was running for the Tory leadership?
2: Mm. I think there was, a, there was an interesting, he, was, he met with all five of them. It, uh, did he? Yeah, Stuart, Johnson, the Sag, oh, here's my memory now. Uh, well, Hunt would Govey. definitely have been one. Gove, Gove, Yeah, Govey. Gove. He knew Gove anyway. Um, and he told them all the same thing, you know, get Brexit done, unite the party, defeat Jeremy Corbyn. And they all sort of went off and did their own thing with it and he ended up cancelling Johnson.
0: Um. Yeah, but so he. Could, so at that point, if he, was, if he knew that Johnson was an idiot in his terms, or, or, or incapable or whatever it is he said, he could have said, well, look, it's Jeremy Hunt. I don't like him either for all, whatever reason. But at least he's not an incompetent. Mm. I, mean, I mean, I think it's unarguable that if Jeremy Hunt had been in charge when the pandemic struck, we'd probably, we'd probably have dealt with it better.
2: You'd like to think so, wouldn't you? You said it makes you think. Should it make you angry?
0: Yeah, it makes me angry. The whole thing makes me angry. Lying makes me angry the state of kind of democratic discourse makes me angry. But why, why wouldn't we be angry about it?
2: Because I don't necessarily know if it, it does make everyone angry. If people sort of go, oh, well, the game's the game,
0: you know. I know, well, that, that's, that makes me angry, okay? So <laughs> let's have a list. I mean, no, I mean that's, not, that's just not good enough. It's not okay. I mean, I know why you're driven to that position. <clears throat> and it's like, in a way, writing a book like this, and look, it's got lots of jokes and stuff. It's, it's, you know, it's supposed to be fun to read. It's not It's not a, it's heavy, a read. Thank you. It's not, it's not a heavyweight, sort of sits on the shelf and never gets read type of book. But I found that when I was going out and talking about it, that, you know, yes, I'm, I'm, it's really important stuff that we... It's really important we stop accepting that, or don't accept that this is the way things are. I, I don't know if I can remotely... Uh, well, you know, I can you know, just write a book. I mean, I all I can do is say this... Uh, we shouldn't say it's okay, that's, the way that, that's just the way it's all a game, because it's, it's not a game. It affects everybody. All these things affect everybody. Mm. If people are, you know, waiting for the NHS, <coughs> NHS I, I mentioned the book, I got diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, okay? I was told when I went to a GP that when she said she, she didn't want to say the P word, but she sort of danced around it. She said it would be a year before I'd be seen by a neurologist. That's an invitation to the middle classes to go private. Mm. That's a real, so is it a game? You know, as it, as it happened, I managed to get, I managed to, I ended up going to and I was in such a bad way. But in other, in other words, this is, this, I didn't use that because it's a clear example of a policy that will affect you if it happens to you or some other thing happens to you. So it matters, it matters an awful lot about what they say and that we hold them to account and we know what they believe in.
1: Mm.
0: So it's not It's not an academic thing.
2: It's not just an academic exercise. No. Okay, a couple more things before we draw things to a close. Yes. Um, you write in the book that you, Believe that the BBC has a centre left liberal bias, and you actually you say as well that you think that and you know that because it's sort of your own to a certain extent. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about the quest for impartiality, whether or not it's actually possible or even feasible to achieve true impartiality, mm. and what you believe the BBC's biases to be?
0: Well, so on the, uh, true, I mean, true, what do you mean by true impartiality?
2: Well, I guess, and that's the problem, isn't it? First of all, it's the definition of terms. Is it possible to present a story? Without, with just total objectivity, without the subjective mm. at all, because at the end of the day, there's the subjectivity of the presenter, the editor, the producer, mm. I mean, the, 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 the chairman of the BBC, dare I say it as well. So is it possible to present news without a partial view attached to it?
0: Uh, I think the answer to that is ultimately, in, in, in a strict sense, the answer is probably no. Mm. But in, okay, so let's. So, what's our response to that? Do we then abandon the effort because it's just impossible to achieve it in its purest sense, or do we carry on? And what I would say is that we carry on because the reason for that is that uh, it's really. It's diffi- if something's difficult, it's probably worth carrying on trying to do it because it's, it's you know it's difficult for a reason. And the people that I've worked with at the BBC. So what you mentioned, my bias or the bias I refer to, everyone you've got bias and you know. Everyone's got bias, right? Mm. As you, as you actually say, and so the 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 question is, can you set it aside or try to set it aside when you walk in the room and do the journalism? And for me, it was the reason I feel like I could was because I wasn't. I was less interested in my views and like, promoting them in some way than I was in, you know, getting, I got the bug of those things we talked about, doing these interviews that really change things or could actually hold someone to account. And so it didn't matter to me whether it was Labour, the Tories or anybody else who, who was in the chair. I just wanted us to do the very best job we could do because that gave me a lot of professional satisfaction. Mm. Um, and most people there are like that. The, re- the only reason I mentioned the left, I, I think it's just true that if, you, if you're honest, that most, the, the, the balance of opinion at the BBC, probably in most media organizations, apart from GB respect, is, is, uh, is that you have, uh, is slightly to the left. Mm. slightly centrist left, you know, it's, it, that's probably just true. It doesn't mean that, of course, everyone's like that. It might be that the more senior people it's a m- bit more mixed, you know, so there have been some senior to- Tory people that be- or ex-Tories or whatever they are. Then they become advisors again and come back again. Um, whatever it might be, there are, people, there are people there from those different perspectives. I mean, look, I mean, Nick Robinson's a brilliant interviewer. He used to be a Tory when he was really well, a lot younger. I don't detect him going easy on the Tories. Or, no. He's a journalist first and foremost and that's what so that's what, so. In other words, it can't be achieved in a pure sense. The effort of achieving it and trying produces great work. I massively support the BBC. I think it's 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 hugely important. I think some of the cuts have been disastrous and yep. you know have left it in a position which has had to make some very very bad decisions or you know, say bad difficult decisions. And sometimes you think they're bad, they're bad solutions. But it's a pretty hard thing for them to try and figure out.
2: Absolutely. And. I, don't, I can. See, I actually sort of, slightly bizarrely, consume a lot of sort of world service content, which I think is um, incredibly good. And
0: mm. the yeah.
2: if I was, if you if you asked me to say, you know, what do you think is the closest thing to impartial news that's out there, I would say the BBC. Yeah, absolutely,
0: but, but too right. You sort of, and and yet. Well, and sorry, I add, they're not the only people. I mean, Sky. I mean, I would say this. Mm. I would do some work for Sky. I'd say the same for Sky News. Yeah. Um, and so and uh, so. Yeah, there is a tradition in this country, and ITV, there's a tradition, ITV, Sky, and the BBC. ITV's
2: doing a really good job at the moment.
0: Yeah, they're in a place which is, you know, I've worked for all of them, and and they all come at it like this. It's not, so, but the BBC is sort of the preeminent one, Uh, you know, it's the biggest one. It's this huge, this huge organisation. It's really, again, it's like I was saying about, you know, does it matter about, political interview's not happening, or, you know, it's just a game, or, things matter. Like, the BBC dying slowly by a thousand cuts, a million cuts, whatever it is, is it matters. It's, it's bad for the society we live in. So it should be defended. Mm.
2: And, and, yeah, you're right, it is under attack from all sorts of directions. I did it before this interview, right? I went and I just hammered BBC Bias into Google News to see what would come up, and it is from almost every angle, right? And <sighs> I don't know whether it's a bit of a cop-out to say, oh, well, you're pissing everyone off, so, you know, you're clearly you're doing something right. You're probably it, close to it, Yeah, it's not,
0: it's not a totally irrelevant point, but it's not, I don't think it's done, I don't think it's quite the... It, the, the slam dunk answer that people think it is.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Sunak, then. Let's let's finish. Let's finish with Rishi, um, okay. our current prime minister.
0: Yeah.
2: And I guess just to draw the most recent example, but to use
0: say to sorry, you should ask me something about Starmer as well, because we're going to be balanced. Okay.
2: Absolutely. Right. I will do. Yeah. I will do. Okay. So Rishi Sunak, then. Yeah. Most recent uh, policy announcement, which I can probably which jumps to mind would most likely probably be uh, disposable vapes, right? We're going to ban disposable vapes. How does the prime minister make that announcement? He doesn't do it in an interview. He doesn't do it at the dispatch box. He sits down and sort of pre-shoots something with Lad Bible, and that gets sort of put out as a one, two minute clip, right? So it's almost the antithesis yeah. of the long form political interview. It's mm-hmm, sort of yeah. controlled environment, pre-scripted. Here's the video, let's put it out.
0: Yeah.
2: And that then also sits within a context of, well, I mean, um, take your pick on his, his recent um, conference speech is actually probably a pretty good example, right? Mm. So um, banning meat taxes, um, spades are in the ground on HS2 until I take mm. to the stage in Manchester and cancel the leg that's going to Manchester. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how do you see Rishi fitting within this pantheon of lying bastards? And as a sort of follow-up question, what should people's approach to interviewing him be?
0: Okay, um, so on the first question, um, so actually the the, the hardback, the, the first version of the book ends with um, sort of quite a lot of hope because um, I talked to Emily Maitlis, I talked to Andrew Marr, uh, and this was the, when Rishi Sunak had just become Prime Minister, and there was a feeling then, I think, that we might sort of return to some of those norms I was talking about. So we might, because I think he was generally, he was sort of, his, the, 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 the selling point that he had and why he wins by acclamation is essentially the mad shit's over, mm. all that stuff that's just happened, which is, it was, we thought he was mad Boris, but look what happened next, mm-hmm. wow, I'm, I'm, just, I'm at least a steady, uh, kind of reasonable person. And I think, you know, I get the impression, you get the impression that he's a very hard working, conscientious person in terms of the amount of effort he puts into doing the job, but in terms of communicating, he's just uh, flailing around and down, down there's, this, there's a chapter, an updated chapter in the book about the year since, I mean, in which he's, he just goes from one place to another trying to get something, some kind of purchase that might give him some basis for which to move forward, mm-hmm. and, and, and it never really happens. Uh, I mean, the vaping example, the one thing that made me think of, there's a good example of something that would benefit from a long interview, because there's a fundamental question there about what you think government should do. Should. It, it's like there are very other things. I think there's talk of, you know, there's talk of. This is a good one of banning social media for the under, for the under sixteens. Don't
2: get me started. Good on luck that. with that one. Yeah, <laughs> that, that one makes me angry. In yeah, quite but, but, a way. But there's
0: a conversation there to be had about what the, what are the, what are the limits of government? Yes, it's a fundamental conversation about your belief system, mm. and really that's a nourishing, important thing. And if you've got a belief that you say, well, I do believe in liberty, but certain things the government has to step in and do, like the vaping. And the social media, um, you know, then um, then make your case, and that is valuable. But if you go on and go two minutes, of course, it's going to go. It's not going to scratch the surface of that. But he's made a choice, or he's allowed. I don't know what. You know, I don't know the truth. I don't know whether he. I, I mentioned the book, he's. I, I once had. It shows how fast he's, he's risen, right? Um, he was so C-list that he was sat next to me at a dinner, right?
2: <laughs> Poor bloke. <laughs>
0: this was not even that long ago, yeah. right? And he sat there drinking a, a coke, and I was getting slightly, slowly hammered on the free champagne at the spectator. Yeah. yeah, it was good. I was enjoying it. But he was fine and we had a chat and he seemed normal. He didn't speak in a weird way. He didn't keep talking about stopping the boats. He just, he talks, you know. That's uh, really interesting yeah. because
2: I, I, I've never had the pleasure of his company. But I watch his mode of communication yeah. and it always <coughs> seems to be a little bit condescending, a little bit... I shouldn't have to explain my thinking to you, but I'm, I'm doing you the service of explaining to you why this thing is about to happen right. to you. Do you not, do, uh, yeah. and, and the only time I've seen it different, actually, was when he was in conversation with Elon Musk. And when he was interviewing Musk, um, he struck... Well, actually, his accent was completely different. He struck that more transatlantic, you know, D and party and so, things like so, that. Oh, right. um, going back to his, you know, Silicon Valley type yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. mode of communication. Yeah. But then I... So that made me twig. I was like, oh, no, the way he speaks when he's giving a speech or being interviewed, it's actually confected. It's not... I didn't think it was the way he actually speaks. You,
0: no. So it's not? No, he was, you know, he, he didn't speak like that, you know, um, because if he had, you'd be like... I mean, this is the way, I mean, this is the way that almost any politician like, if they spoke like this in any other walk of life, you'd be like, what the
2: fuck? Yeah, what are you doing?
0: Yeah, it's like, I just asked you want you cup a cup of coffee, and you said, look, the important thing is that tea is also a hot <laughs> beverage. Yeah, it's, like, it's like, you know, it's like, well... Yes, it is. But what are you on? And it's like he wasn't like that. He was like a normal person. Now I think I don't know. I don't know whether it's condescending or where it comes from. But it, I wonder. What I feel it. To be honest, I feel it comes from a place of discomfort with the process, mm. and not. And this is the thing. You know, to risen to the to prime minister without really mastering communication is 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 odd. But then again, it's maybe a function of the fact that most of these politicians have been media trained. And that, so the attitude to media training, media training just teaches you to be like that yep. closed up, not expansive and authentic and speaking to people. So um, <clears throat> he, he, he's, I think that's, that's, that's kind of infected his, his way of talking. So he just can't do it. So he's quite bad at if you talk to him and throw something at him he's not expecting, mm. he will very clumsily, in the media, with the media training kicking in, pull it back to, the, to stopping the boats or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he would inter- do interviews where he would repeat the five pledges. Which I, from memory, are like blah blah blah, inflation blah blah blah, stop the boat. So I think but I think I've got yeah, it. That's there. pretty much it. Yeah, yeah um, the, the, they, you would do that, and then that would be enough. And it's 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 not. I mean, if, I mean, at least be artful about it rather than rubbish at it. Mm. So it's a shame. I mean, there's, there's an interview. What we do in the, um, I refer to the book that I did with Beth Rigby, which was, um, he, you know, he, he's was he was he head boy, at Winchester, wherever he went? all these things, gilded life. You know talented, i'm sure whatever that stuff is they do in the city um and uh, and and then you know marries someone very wealthy and he's prime minister you know it's amazing what a, and so she, she he just had a set of elections where he'd lost so i i was, what is the truth he's lost that, that set of elections so let's ask him um how does it feel to lose for you and he just went he just didn't know he couldn't do it he couldn't he didn't Compute. So, when he's in, so that proves that if he's in that, in that conversation, he's not in a mode of conversation, he's in a mode of mm. just sending out that thing over Transmit. and over again. Yeah, and it's like, I mean, look, parking, whether you think it's desirable or not desirable for the democracy, just be better at this, please, if you're <laughs> gonna do the job, because you know, it's not gonna work for you.
2: And I guess your point about it being odd, it scans because the way he came up was odd, right? You know, parachuted into the office of chancellor in this environment where everyone's a, not just you know, you're not coming into contact with the public, Everyone is at home. The journalists yeah. are at home. You're being yeah. interviewed over Zoom. It's like, true. You know, that, so I think that feeds into it. Yes. Um, okay, so in the interest of balance, then, let's turn, let's turn to the, the Labour leader, Keir Starmer. Yeah. Um, so you may see this differently to me, but you are the expert online bastards, so I, I, will, I will defer to your better, better judgment. On the one hand, you have Johnson, who for me, Again, I think it was Rousseau who says he has a thousand ways of lying, right? He can lie by obfuscation. He can lie by misdirection. He can lie by yes, so transitioning anyways. to Latin and you don't understand what yeah. he's saying. That's one, one form of lying. And then you look at Keir Starmer and on the face of it, I would possibly say that the manner in which Keir Starmer lies is possibly more Machiavellian, more calculated and more, as a result, sinister. So Labour leadership, right? Who do, what's the constituency I need to win? I need to win the currently quite radically left-wing Labour membership, so what does that mm-hmm. mean? Scrapping tuition fees, nationalising utilities, the 10 pledges, all of which have essentially been yeah. cast aside yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe that that's quite calculated lying. In order to win over a constituency, you have mm-hmm. to win the Labour leadership election. You then, The next constituency he needs to win is the country. So he shifts his message. He becomes far more of a centrist, taking the template and the lessons of previous Labour leaders who have won, the most recent being Tony Blair, who fights elections from the centre and wins doing mm-hmm.
0: so. Yeah.
2: And then provokes the question of, when he gets into office, will he do the things that he's saying he's going to do now? You thought about this, haven't you? I thought about it a little bit, yeah. <laughs> so... You've got a theory, haven't you?
0: Well... <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. I mean, it's quite, I like it. It's interesting.
2: So what, where do you see Starmer sitting within this, the pantheon that also contains Rishi Sunak and, and Boris Johnson? And is it fair for me to characterise his approach to political mu- communications in that quite calculated and sinister way?
0: Okay. First of all, I just want to say one thing, which is Lying Bastards is the title of the book. It does not mean I think every politician is a lying bastard. That's important to – because I think that's – I mean, one of the things I say, we'll get to it maybe if you want to do one more question, is about how we should approach this next election, mm. which we could talk about if you, if, you, if you have time. On Salma, I agree with you on the pledges. I, I, I feel like um, – uh, I think we were – LBC, when I was at LBC with Andrew Marr, we asked in the one about uh, NHS private provision – Again, in there, no no private provision, which, I mean, the NHS has been using private provision for decades. Mm. Uh, and it was in there as a policy of quite, a le- I mean, a left-wing policy. I don't think it's a very sensible policy, but, you know, particularly. But he said, he, he he wrote it and he junked it. And the odd thing for that, so I do, I do think it's very, legit, and I think, you know, people on, uh, people like Owen Jones, who was talking about, I thought was absolutely right to say this is a problem. I mean, it's not okay to write things, that, you know, it's not okay to say them, but to to write them down and put them on a poster and then not do them mm. is is uh, problematic, to say the least. So, yeah, I think that is, that is a, a difficult thing for him. Um, I think his excuse, his excuses, I think, is COVID because that uh, it allows you to kind of junk everything beforehand. I don't really think it holds water that. Um, the next bit, though, um, so... I mean, I think, look, the other thing about it is it's not... It's a, the traditional... What he's doing is basically the game. i go back to the game, but is the game. The Labour... The, the opposition game, it's the, it's the playbook, right? You, you elected, you're you elected from the left and you, and you, you then move to the right to get government, to get elected. Sorry, you're elected with a membership on the left, and then you eventually move further to the centre and to the right in order to get elected. So I don't think that's anything new. Um, and I think, you know, perhaps his pragmatism on that is, is, is sensible and will get him elected. I think the problem for me is what it stores up. So if you go around saying as they have, and people probably agree with this, which is that the NHS is on its face, not on its knees, it's on its face, but you are not you will not also promise you imply that you will somehow renew it and fix it, but you say, because of the state of the finances, we can't offer any money mm. of any significance, then that is going to make people feel pretty cynical and upset if you're implying you're gonna fix it and you can't, and then you haven't actually, you aren't actually gonna go about doing that. And people are gonna feel like, well, they said they were gonna sort the NHS out and we're still waiting or whatever it is. So I think that that, that's, that would be, it would be better for them to say something different about that if they want to renew the public sector. I think they could've could decided to go into this election from a renewing the public sector point of view, mm. if they wanted to. Yeah. Uh, it's their choice and I can understand why. They're carrying a Ming vase across a shiny floor and if they drop it, it shatters. And that's their attitude and I can understand it. So, but I just think, you know, I think, you know, if they do get elected, I think that they would be wise to alter their way of communicating so that they try and connect with people in an authentic way. Mm. And actually, if you do that, you, you store up less of a problem for yourself in the long run. Because if you, make, if you maintain a sort of everything's going to be great, isn't it, this is, this is great sort of attitude, then people will be disappointed with you, which in the end, what's happened with Blair, what happened to Tony Blair.
2: Let's do it then. How should we approach the next election?
0: Well, I think this, the reason I mentioned that was that I think it's easy to be cynical, OK. OK. I think we, we can just sit here right we can sit here in, in this in this basement it's lovely basement and we can just uh, <laughs> I'm
2: really keen to emphasize
0: yeah, that yeah it, it is a basement but, but but it's a nice one but it's and um, better lit than GB News <laughs> original studio but but the, the, the thing about the the thing about this is that cynicism is is is, is shit right it's really crap it's really the worst thing we can be as 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 voters and as media we're both media and we're, it, even if they've invited us to do it even if they've given us every reason to be cynical. We shouldn't go into elections being, being, being cynical about this. We should try and renew our, our, our belief that this is an important democratic moment. If they let us down, we can point it out, okay? Which they almost certainly will, but we should, I think, we as in the public and the media should give people a chance to say, to do better than they have been. And so that means that the chance we're offering is that here, actually in this basement, and also on, on the various outlets elsewhere, people should make themselves available to sit with you, you reach a certain people who they need to reach, and it's important that they reach them, sit here and talk to you about politics, about their beliefs, and about what, why, they, why their policy on housing or the health service or whatever it is, is a particular thing. They should love that opportunity.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, you're not going to, you're not going to ask them the, the price of a pint of milk. We've established that much. We have. But, you know, the point is, you know, they should do it. They should come on to different things. They should do, whoever the interview that Nick Robinson or Michelle Hussain, whoever it is that does it for the BBC, you know, that's what they should do, and they, should, they shouldn't just do six-minute nonsense Sort of boring, repetitious, empty rubbish. Um, but the public also should do some work. And one thing, that's a bugbear of mine, is, is the sort of the kind of question time audience thing. You know, like we like we don't have to do any work. We just go like, no, but I want this and I want this and I don't want to pay for it. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> I want the best energy in the world and I want my taxes to be cut or whatever it might be. Yeah. We have to be, we have to actually as citizens. Think about the trade-offs and make a, you know, a sort of informed and thoughtful decision rather than anything else. So, look, it probably won't work. I mean, nothing works, but um, <laughs> we can try. We can try. Rob yeah. Burley, thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Cheers. Appreciate it.
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods
0: for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters
1: starting at $50